0: friends before we jump in and get started today I wanted to give a really quick warning (laughs) here Um, this is an episode that I really believe in I think is really great but is not one for your kiddos Um, or maybe it is but please please listen first before you share with your kids you maybe don't want to listen with parents grandparents Um, again a really important conversation, but maybe one to listen to on your own first. Hey friends, welcome to the Making Room on the Pew podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Jo Welch Pomerantz, and I am so glad you're here with us back for another week of the show. You are listening to episode 31. Today on the show, we have my new friend, Kelly Wolf. We are having a brand new conversation that we've never had here on the podcast, that I have never had in public, but I'm very excited for you all to hear it. It is all about sex, masturbation, and sexual ethics. So, Kelly is a 33 year old woman, she's a native of the Dallas area. She works as an insurance agent by day, by night. She has an amazing blog called Let It Matter. I'll link that in the show notes below as well. Kelly is a creative, a question asker, an Enneagram eight wing nine, if you speak that Enneagram language, Um, and she's a lover of all the animals. So she has been a lifelong church girl. She spent 30 plus years in conservative evangelicalism, and now identifies as 60% Episcopal, 40% ELCA Lutheran, which is very cool. I love when people pull from different traditions that they really resonate with. Kelly is passionate about seeing all people welcomed, affirmed, elevated, and able to lead in the church, especially women, um, people of color, and the LGBTQ community she believes that Jesus's table is wide and open and a feast is set. She truly today brings the party. So without further ado, let's get right into talking with my new friend, Kelly Wolf. Okay, Kelly, welcome to the Making Room on the Pew podcast.
1: Thank I you so much
0: for having me. Yes, I'm so glad to have you. Um I have been telling Everybody, people keep asking, they're like, What's the podcast about? What's it about this week? Because everyone in my life knows that this is one of my favorite things to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm always like, Normally, I will just, Oh, we're talking about blah, blah, blah. And so this particular week, I keep saying, You're just going to have to wait till it comes <laughs> out. <laughs> like, oh, I'm sad. not prepared. <laughs> <laughs> to have that conversation right this second. Got it.
1: Yes. Well, that's my goal. Hopefully, maybe after this conversation, it will be easier to have these conversations.
0: Yes, for sure. Okay. So, for those um, listening who maybe don't know you or haven't connected with you yet, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. Yeah. I am um, 33. I'm single. I live in the Dallas area. Uh, grew up here, longtime Texas native. I am. Um, I am an insurance agent, sort of by day. Um, have a website um, slash blog called Let It Matter, um, where I am currently doing a series called Woman of Valor, and just highlighting mm-hmm. women from scripture and from church history, and even contemporary women. I did one also on Kamala Harris when she became the first female vice president. So, um, just highlighting women um, and their contributions to history at this point. But I, um, so I love doing that website. I also rehab and refurnish finish, uh, furniture, so yeah. um, of a wide variety of interests, but I am—I um, grew up uh, in the Church of Christ, denominational um, Church of Christ, for 25 years, then I became a Southern Baptist mega church goer for seven years, <laughs> uh, and now I am a part, I was confirmed in my Episcopal church um, this past year, so um, I, I identify, I say, as 60% Episcopal, 40% ELCA Lutheran.
0: yes I love that I love that thanks um yes and for everybody I think you can correct me if I'm wrong the Church of Christ and the United Church of Christ different vastly different perfect (laughs) just I want to highlight that for all of our listeners because so my wife is a pastor in the United Church of Christ so I want to make sure different things (laughs)
1: Yeah, that sentence wouldn't be allowed to be said in the Church of Christ.
0: No, no, no. Yes, okay. Um, what has been something that you have really loved learning about yourself or the church or God through that kind of becoming or that journey through so many different traditions?
1: Yeah, and I, I actually, I love that question. Thank you for asking that. I, um, as I sort of was um in that sort of theological space where I was I was saying, okay, so Southern Baptists got it wrong on slavery, obviously. <laughs> um, maybe there's some interpretations that they missed along the way in other areas. Um, and so those of you who are listening who may be Southern Baptists, um I don't know, maybe take a look for yourself as well. But uh, <laughs> but certainly no offense men. I just um so I started studying things like women um and and leadership roles during the church or in church and um and as I sort of was studying those things and came across um, the sacraments, I I realized as an enneagram eight, which is my um, my, my number, uh, that I am a very physical, um, tactile person. And so, in the in coming to the Anglican tradition and finding the kneeling and the passing of the peace and the incense and the candles and the Eucharist, the bread and the wine and um, just the visualness of the art on the walls and the stained glass and stuff. Uh, I found how intensely more um, more beautiful like just going to church could be than being in a you know retrofitted Albertson's like I was at my mega church yeah. for so long that you know everything is seated and it's so preaching centric. this this, um, this expression of faith is just so beautiful to me because it's so embodied and I I feel more integrated. As as a person, I didn't realize that I had felt disintegrated um, in my practice until I was in a place where I could align my political and social and religious beliefs as as one that I didn't have to kind of um, silo off part of myself. Um, And I didn't realize I was doing that before, but I came to see that. Um, but then also that I could, I could have a church experience and also just a faith experience that was far more embodied, um, than I had experienced previously. And that's, um, that's been really helpful, especially during COVID when I haven't been able to have those things. So it's, I've helped, it's helped me to determine, you know, what things will really be life-giving as a faith practice now that I'm home and by myself, and there's not an altar rail and (laughs) things like that. Um, I've, I've, been able to see okay do something though that's embodied you know make the sign of the cross or when I'm doing my yoga positions do that during morning prayer or um or whatever it is so it kind of helps me stay grounded that way
0: yeah I love that I think that um I think that the church would benefit if more people saw their faith as um more integrated, I guess. Yeah. More holistic
1: in that sense that you bring your full self is how um, it feels to me.
0: Exactly. Well, how many times have we gone to church and sat and done nothing else? Maybe sing and that's it. Or we see people around us who are just sitting, not even singing because they don't quote, have a good singing voice. Nobody cares. Right. The point is to get everybody It's to get your whole self into the act of worship. And this feels
1: participatory in a way that just sitting and looking at the stage, looking at a worship leader and singing maybe, but looking at a worship leader, looking at the one reading the text, looking at um, the preacher rather than, you know, we stand up, we pass the peace, we kneel for prayer, we bow, you know, um, at the, I don't even know all the Anglican words yet. But when, when they're bringing the gospel text out among us, I mean, even that, you know, when I asked somebody the first time, why do they read all of the other texts from the lectern and then bring the gospel text, you know, out in the middle of the aisles. Mm -hmm. Um, And they said, because Jesus came and dwelt among the people. And I about sobbed my Mm -hmm. face off. (laughs) Even that embodiment just reminds me it's all speaking a gospel message, you know, and yes. and so having it so participatory like that, I don't, I don't even know that I could go back now if I wanted to, because it's such a such a beautiful way to practice faith, I think.
0: That, yeah, that's gorgeous. I didn't know that that was a thing of bringing the gospel down. Oh my gosh, I love it. I know. It's um, <laughs> so good. Um, okay, so we are gonna take a hard left turn. We are. And <laughs> go from talking about church and the gospel to sex and sexual ethics. Yes. And but we I also,
1: I don't want it to be a hard left turn. I don't think it has to be. I think it can be Ooh. part of, uh, well, not necessarily part of my intro conversation, but, but I don't think you have to silo off God from this conversation. So um, that's my hope here.
0: Okay. Um, tell us more about that. How how does all of that come together? Because you're totally right. I hope that it's all to one, all integrated, but it feels weird Mm -hmm. to talk about God and sex. It does together. It does. And I
1: understand the impulse entirely to want. yes.
0: Yes. Well, and maybe maybe it's just me because I grew up in the height of purity culture. Mm -hmm. And so I cannot figure out, like, I still remember when I used to go on purity retreats, (laughs) right. (laughs) Uh And, um, there was like an older girl She I was in, I don't know, middle school, high school, and she was maybe in college. She's not that much older, but at the time I was like, oh, she knows everything. Mm -hmm. And she said something about don't, um what is it something to the effect of if you can't pray right after you're you did something wrong okay then let's take that challenge (laughs) let's do it because for literally for 15 years I have been like thinking about that question like what Mm. does that actually mean Bailey, you know what? I actually,
1: I was praying just before I got on here and I thought like, God, just give us the right in, give us the right way to have this conversation that honors you and honors the gifts you've given us. And that did it. I mean, that's it. So part of my kind of spiel about this is that you should not have to like, so look, we're going to introduce some words to the conversation here. First, we're going to be talking about masturbation. Mm -hmm. Um, we're going to have to talk about anatomy, like a clitoris and a vulva and penis. We're going to have to talk about orgasms. Um, and I am in no way a scholar. I just want to be really clear about my credentials here. I'm a human. That's my, that's my credentials. (laughs) I'm a single woman in, in kind of a perpetuated, you know, a longer term singleness. I'm 33. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm not, this is not from, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a sociologist. I'm not, you know, I haven't studied human sexuality in any kind of significant length. So I wanna be clear about that. <laughs> um, but I think to have this conversation, you don't have to have been. And I think leaving it into those spaces and in the hands of pastors who are shy um, has hurt us clearly. I mean, to the point that I have to make that, that that disclaimer before I talk about sex, which is something most human beings are built in with an innate sexuality, um, yes. whatever it may be. So, um, So that specific thing, if you can't pray right after you've done something wrong. I have, I have. nobody's openly articulated that to me, but I have felt that internally a lot of times. If I, you know, went to a party the night before and I woke up and I was a horrible hangover, but I had to go to church. I felt like, gosh, I can't, I can't engage with God right now. I have to wait, clean myself up a little bit, which I mean, also that's a fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel that you have to run from God and clean yourself up before you can come to God,
0: right? Well, um, And can we just mention that that is essentially what happened in the Garden of Eden? Was it, was right? Was that Adam and Eve were thinking, oh, no, 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 but I'm not, you know, I'm naked, so I can't be with God.
1: Right. And okay, so let's start there. I think that's great. So Adam and Eve, it says at the end of chapter two, they were naked and unashamed because sin had not entered the world. Right? Shame as a device does not come from God. God did not design the world with shame. He did design humanity with various anatomy, sexual parts, reproductive parts, um, and to know no shame in that that process. It is sin and it is Satan. I don't know where everyone falls on the idea of hell and Satan and the the devil, but it is evil that brings Mm -hmm. um, shame into the conversation. So that is not of God. So anytime I am feeling ashamed, enough to run from God, I know I can check myself and say, that message is not from God. God is not saying to me, go away until you can clean yourself up and come back. That is a direct scheme, I would say, of our adversary who would say, stay away and try to clean yourself up, knowing that's impossible, right? (laughs) That's not me that cleans (laughs) myself up in the first place. But so, so clearly what we have, God designing the human body, Um, in all its forms and identifications and sexualities and all of those things, God designing the human body and and nakedness in community. So they were two at that point and saying they're still naked and unashamed. And it wasn't any type of quote sexual sin that kept them from each other. It was just in general feeling like they had done something um, against what God had said and the shame was birthed from from that non-God source, right? And so, um, and so I want to make sure that's the lens we're looking at this through, that it is not God that makes us feel like we have to whisper about this or that makes us feel like we can't pray after we've done something. Um, and so when I think about um purity culture, that's exactly probably that's it in a nutshell of how I would describe that. The the way that this kind of all got caught. Um, got, you know, brought up in my life, is um, after the insurrection at the Capitol on the 6th, um, we had all, the the country had been all sitting, staring at a TV or a screen of some sort, taking in significant stress into our bodies, watching these horrific things happen. And we'd been watching the TV for probably 12 to 24 hours, depending on where it was. So the next day, I tweeted just some ideas of ways to care for your physical body because of the stress that it had been taking in, right? So I said, maybe take a bubble bath, have some wine with dinner, cook a really good dinner and have um, have wine and a good steak or, you know, whatever it is. Have, um, get a massage if you need to. And then I said, masturbate or have sex if you're coupled and that's your preference. Um, and my DMs filled up. <laughs> I bet they did with half with people saying you shouldn't suggest that blah, blah, blah. But the other half with people saying, thank you for saying that, because that is a way that I have found I can care for my body, um, that I can de-stress that I can, you know, blow off steam or whatever I can relax. Um, but nobody talks about that. And so then I started thinking, okay, The the sort of slippery slope theology, right? I'm using air quotes, anybody that can't see me, uh, the sort of slippery slope theology of the Bible clearly doesn't talk about masturbation, right? It doesn't reference it at all. Um, But there are those in more conservative circles that would say, but if you're going to masturbate you have to lust and to lust that's the sin Uh and that they are uh, inextricable from one another that they're mutually inclusive. Really not in my experience, um, you know. And I'm going to use the word women and men a lot here. I understand that's not the, the only two options that are that could be listening here. And um, but it's just from my experience as a single woman. Um, uh, yeah,
0: that's fine. That's very kind of you to okay. <laughs> to preface that. You're good.
1: I, I understand that others may be listening though that don't identify just as a woman or as a man. And I don't want you to feel left out of this. All I can speak out of is my experience though, mm-hmm. um, and. So so, so for women, um, we don't need to watch pornography, first of all, to reach orgasm. This, I, In fact, I want to leave pornography all the way out of this conversation because it is a whole other conversation about ethics yes, and justice and um, right and wrong and all that. So I, I really would just prefer to leave that out and yeah. say, apart from pornography, women can experience masturbation with desire, with imagination, with. Audio erotica with reading a you know romance novel with just the somatic feeling in their bodies without ever having anything even really going on in their minds they can literally just focus on the feeling in their bodies um, and all you've done at the end of that session is experience what your body was designed to do by God yeah um, and so when so I don't think that you should have to at the end of that or let me this way and put it in positive terms why not at the end of that just like when you have started or finished a good meal and you've said god thank you for my senses thank you for my um, taste buds thank you for the flavors that you put in these um, vegetables or this meat or this wine or whatever it is why could i not say god thank you for designing my body with a clitoris that has eight thousand nerve endings which is more than a penis, has double, by the way, what a penis has, (laughs) and has no reproductive or evolutionary purpose. It is just a gift. Why could I not say thank you to God for that? Why could I not say, God, thank you for the female orgasm? Again, that has absolutely no reproductive or evolutionary purpose. It is just a gift of a God who is generous and says, I love you, and I want your body to experience physical pleasure in the same way that you experience it with wonderful smells or sights or sounds, you listen to good music or whatever it is, when you reach back and rub your shoulders, this is, this is that's not inherently wrong because you have provided a part of your body relief from the tension it has felt. Um, and so I, I don't believe, I, let me put it this way. I do believe there are things that can be incorporated into masturbation and sex that can make it dangerous or unjust or sinful in whatever way you want to define that term. But I do not believe that just because um, one is masturbating that those things are automatically incorporated. And I also believe that they can be intentionally left out that one can pursue a, um, a form of bodily pleasure in a lot of different ways that have intentional ways of glorifying God um, rather than, or or at least um, praising God at the end of it right Um rather than fearing God and running from God so that's sort of kind of where this all started <laughs> sort of the mental <laughs> mental place this started I I mean I think shame is a really big driver of it but the other part is that secrecy yeah. drives shame yes and so when something stays secret or stays in the dark the longer it does the more shame that's that's um, derived from it, even if that wouldn't have been there in the first place, if the thing you've done isn't wrong, but because it's secret, then it gets this sort of, you know, air about it that feels shameful or feels embarrassing or, you know, whatever. And it is a very carnal, it, raw, intimate thing to be talking about. It's a personal thing, but it doesn't necessarily need to be a private thing. That's my, that's my sort of pitch to people, Okay. Is that so? Let me, if I can just quote, and this is, I have some very, non-scientific data together <laughs> um, I did a poll on Twitter yeah and this is I mean some of these have more than a hundred votes but some of them have just at a hundred votes so I feel like for percentages let's just say a hundred um, yes okay and just so that's obviously a smaller sampling it's most it's primarily Christians and so there's a question in this five question poll that will identify what kind of Christian they identify as but Um, This is the
0: most scientific thing that's ever happened on this podcast. (laughs) And it is
1: a Twitter poll. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Okay. So
1: five questions. I said, first, I said in the past month, have you had a conversation with anyone in your peer group or community about sexual ethics, including masturbation? What I was trying to get at is the fact that these conversations are happening constantly. So more than I'm trying to propagate, masturbation or sexual ethics. I'm just trying to propagate the conversation around it. I'm just trying to get people to talk about it um, because in public, because these things are happening behind closed doors, in DMs, in whispers, um, and that isn't serving the church at large. And you'll see that from this this sort of sampling. So in the past month, have you had a conversation with anyone in your peer group or community about sexual ethics, including masturbation? 42%, so 42 people said yes, 58 said no. For most of the poll until the very end, it was either yes, heavy or half and half. Um, And so clearly we know people are talking about this. Um, And that's literally just in the last 30 days. So question two in the past month, this one is really convicting actually in the past month, has someone under your care, leadership or authority come to you to ask or talk about sexual ethics, including masturbation. 7% said
0: yes,
1: 93% said no. So we're talking about it with our peers and we do not go to our leaders, our spiritual leaders, particularly. Um, And that's sort of the context I was asking about it. Uh, And that tells a story to me Yeah. that people we feel safe talking to are the ones we will talk to about this. The people we feel like we're going to receive judgment or shame or that just don't identify, we don't talk to them about it, regardless
0: of the fact that it is on our minds. How do parents handle this with their kids? Mm-hmm. And then how do spiritual leaders, we'll, we'll stay in spiritual leaders, hmm. um, how do they handle that? Like if, How do we become more open so that the people under our care are willing to come to us? Yeah. And I'm going to say
1: on a big, big part of this, deferring to people who are health experts and sex experts and yes. uh, educational experts because of what's age appropriate. And certainly we have seen the opposite end of this with mm-hmm. um, sexual contact and abuse and stuff like that, especially within church context. And so I want to be real careful there um, about not prescribing something that may actually be opposite of what's healthy or wise or good. Yes. Um, but- as far as so what we're seeing is that people are talking to, to people who feel safe for them. they're mm-hmm. talking to the ones who they are confident won't, won't judge them or who they are pretty sure are experiencing the same feelings or actions or things um, and so when it's um, I as far as parenting goes I really have to just completely defer on that question I'm not a parent I am single um, and and haven't run up on that but as far as spiritual care and spiritual relationships um I would say making yourself vulnerable to that to those people to being the one to go first yeah um to say because how often does somebody do you think of somebody as sort of distant and you know on a pedestal until they say let me tell you how bad I messed this up (laughs) you know until somebody levels with you and they go first um it's and and you i mean you have to understand the church environment you're in too because if you're the pastor and you're on staff and you go first and your elders fire you you know it's a really high price to pay um and i'm not saying necessarily it's not worth it but just know your context know your people that you're around and stuff but even in like one-on-one you know counseling sessions or whatever i just i just think the conversation can become Um, like I said, as still personal, but just not as private. So you don't have to be telling everyone, you know, this is the link that I want to send you, or this is, you know, this is the category I'm into on erotica or whatever. It doesn't have to be that in any way, but just um, mentioning it as normal and as regular in people's lives as it is. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that it's like, only, the only reason you would ask this question is if you're already sinning and doing, it, you know? yes. which is a lot of how we were treated when we were, you know, in, in purity culture growing up. It's the only reason you'd want to know the answer to this is if you were interested in it and to be interested in it, you're clearly going to sin, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that kind of actually brings me to this, this third one in the past month, have you masturbated for medical reasons, for pleasure, for sleep or for boredom? Two thirds of people said yes. So 64% said yes. 64 people said yes. 36 said no. This is just in a months' time, um, so I don't know mm-hmm. if that if I would have said six months or a year, if those numbers would be different. Um, but I think that's I mean that's two thirds of people that said yes. So we know it's happening. Yeah. Um, whether we want we want to say okay, well all those 36% would be all the nos would be in my category, you know. Um, You can't say that it's the people that are are doing this, that are experiencing this, that have these questions are in the pews of the, of, and hearing kind of the teachings and they are in your care. They are in your peer groups. They are, um, you know, they're in your churches. They just are (laughs) your friends. Um, And this is the part that really uh, was interesting to me. So I'll put it that way. Number four, do you believe or teach that masturbation is always a sin or always mutually inclusive of other activity you would say is sinful? Um, So whether that's pornography or objectifying or lust, whatever. Um, 10% said yes. They always teach that. Um, 47% said no. Just a clear, clean no. Okay? (laughs) So that's more than have done it that's a higher percentage of people than have done done it 37% said it's a gray area or it's nuanced and that's honestly how i would answer it because i think for some people it could be sinful or unwise or dangerous whereas for others i don't think it would be and and it's just what the person's specifics are someone has a sexual addiction i would say it's probably not wise if someone you know is into you know sort of more violent things as far as how to get their mind there Unwise and probably um, need therapy. So, <laughs> um, but so thirty-seven percent says it's a gray area or it's nuanced. Six percent said it's a slippery slope. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so sixteen percent yes, or it's a slippery slope if you do it. I'm not gonna say no, but I won't, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The rest don't believe that. <laughs> So, a huge percentage of Christians, or at least, you know, this anecdotal sort of 100 people that are on the poll, 114 is actually who responded to this one, don't believe that. But so, where's all this shame coming from? This is a very small minority of people who say, yes, they would teach it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but yet, all of us still feel like it is the majority held position across every denomination, across every, you know, faith, uh, tradition, whatever it may be, that their circles are going to be saying, yes, you should be ashamed of this. Um, And that's just, I mean, the number, these small, tiny little numbers just don't say that. They just don't. Half said, no, they don't believe that.
0: Yeah. And
1: another 40% said, eh, I don't really think so.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, I wonder how different um, our churches would look talking about shame mm-hmm. and what that is doing to our relationships with ourselves, with each other, and with God.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? Like, yes. how different could everything look? And I think that this is only one thing that we would start to really talk more about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, that's so true. I mean, I think you're exactly right. Shame is such a, such a thief. It literally just robs us of so much communal experience. I was talking about this with somebody the other day, actually. (laughs) So under the law, you know, the the Levitical law, if someone had a wet dream, Mm -hmm. they had to go and, and they'd be unclean. When you're unclean, you have to announce that you're unclean. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and you have to wait till the end of the day. You have to show yourself to the priest, presumably telling them why. Um, if someone was on, if someone was on their period, if somebody had, I mean, all these things that we consider just, it, just mortifying to have talked about in public, yes. or to at least share outside of certain audiences. These people lived in community and just like said hey we have human bodies we're just gonna have our human bodies and not begrudge each other that and so you know that's it it was a wild thing and I haven't I'm not a historian I'm not you know I'm not in any way able to comment really much further than that but it was just sort of a, a thing that kind of hit me like we can't let shame rob us of communal experiences and of cleansing and of you know like so um people who would say I, I can't go to confession and say that you know if that's your practice I can't go to confession I can't say that you know mm-hmm. or I can only say that if I go to confession but I can't say that straight to God Yeah. or you know I or I have to I masturbated last week so like by maybe next week I think God will have forgotten and like I think I'll be that good yeah. I haven't explicitly thought those thoughts but it's kind of how I've operated with God for a really long time <laughs> which is I sinned I need to wait a little while, and then I'll, like, tiptoe back in with maybe a worship song, in the car, you know, <laughs> right, <laughs> um, are we good, that kind of thing, and so um, it just, it just was, yes, I think, I think shame does rob us, rob us of so much, including community, and we're letting it, especially around something that literally is a, is a, a unanimous experience, a ubiquitous yeah. experience, at Best, <laughs> you know, if you're embarrassed or you have a self-loathing about your own body, you, yeah. so I'll, I'll be really, really frank here. So for a long time, um, I had such self-loathing about my body. I hated it. Mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't talk to anyone about sex and masturbation or anything like that, because I thought to myself, I don't want them picturing in their mind, not picturing me doing it, but like thinking to themselves, ooh, who would want to see that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so that shame, that internal, that's not even religious shame. That's just internal mm-hmm. self-hatred and body shame um, kept, robbed me of, of community, robbed me of these conversations long before I even got to the point where then I was hitting up on a religious wall. <laughs> it was just my <laughs> own self. Yeah. Um, and, and that is heartbreaking um, that I thought about my own self that way, or that I thought this is how other people's brains work, or that I thought that way about some people at one time. I mean, I clearly got that from somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I think there's various forms of shame that will keep us from having these kinds of conversation, but if we can, here's kind of, sort of the other way I would look at this is we've seen, I, I can think of two on the top of my head right now, two wonderful books by sort of more progressive Christians. Nadia Boltz-Weber wrote a book called Shameless, yes. the Sexual Reformation. And Matthias Roberts wrote a book called Beyond Shame. Mm-hmm. Both of them wonderful. Um, and, I, and I'm and i so thankful for those gifts and those tools. They are, they are essentially kind of coming around the back end and saying, if this is the messages you were taught about sex and gender and sexuality and the body, you know, let me do. Our, let's kind of try to undo those messages and and um, kind of remove the shame from you. What I would love to see is for the conversation to so change that we don't have to come on the back end and say, "Let's release you from shame," but let's just not shame in the first place. Let's just release enough grace and liberation and education and nuance into this conversation that someone need not feel shame automatically anytime they have a sexual thought or realize they are a sexual being or express that through masturbation or through sex or whatever.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will link those books too in the show oh, notes. Cause great. yeah, I, I agree. They're phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Okay. As we wrap up, is there anything you want to say that we haven't said to anyone listening who is maybe not convinced yet that it's yeah. okay?
1: I do. I do. This it is just sort of quickly. And I, I mean, I could probably talk about this for hours, but I'm going to be really quick. Sorry about that. So <laughs> on um, there's one of the, one of the I think, rich men or one of the lawyers or scribes or somebody comes to Jesus. This is in the gospels. It's recorded and says, you know, um, like, what's the greatest command or what's the, what's the bet the first and most important commandment or whatever. He says, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, on these things, hang the law and the prophets. Yes. Jesus says, anything you wanna know about what God says is summed up in love God, love neighbor, love self. That to me has become a really important sexual ethic framework by which to mm. test the fruit. So I'm growing in this. I don't have to have something my entire sexual ethic decided and down and it can morph and form and I can test the fruit of it. But but what I want to look at it through the lens of is what Jesus says. This is what it's all about here. Love God. So can I at the end of this, can I at the end of this say, thank you, God, for this certain anatomy or thank you for this experience or for this thing you designed my body to do. Um, can I at the end of this say, I haven't objectified anyone. I haven't. Um, you know, pursued any kind of injustice against anyone. I haven't harmed or um, taken or consumed or something like that, my neighbor. I think that's important. And I think that's a big part of the framework when you want to talk about pornography or when you want to talk about lust or whatever. I do think that that there is um, sort of a version of morality that can be incorporated in this. Um, And so don't hear me saying any and everything goes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, um, I am saying that there is a scriptural framework to put this through. Love God, love neighbor, and at the bottom is love self. At the end of this, are you are you finding a way to take care of your body, to, um, to love yourself well, or are you perpetuating your shame? Are you staying in secrecy and doing this because it's compulsory? When you remove shame from something, the compulsory nature of it, Goes down by like 85% I think is the last statistic I saw. Somebody doesn't feel like they have to keep doing something if it's in the light and it's okay and it's talked about and it's common knowledge. So, um, so is this something that is bearing good fruit for you to yourself? Is this, sh- is this breeding shame in your life or is it breeding self-love and um, peace and patience and kindness and generosity and stuff that you can extend to yourself first and then to your neighbor because you've had the, the practice, you know, with your own self. So um, I wanted to sort of add that in because I haven't mentioned a lot of like scripture. We've talked about church a lot and yeah. pastors and stuff like that. But I do think, uh, I do think it's important to have a sexual ethic and framework that is based on your values. Um, it's just, it's just a framework though. It's not, do this, don't do this. At this point, it's this, you yeah. <laughs> know, like, yes. it's yeah, it's, just it's, it should be living and flowing and evolving and you get it wrong sometimes. And then you try again and you, you know, I just think that stuff's important.
0: Kelly, as we wrap up here, tell everybody where they can find you, um, what you're working on, your blog, whatever you want to tell us. Yeah.
1: um, So my website is letitmatter.com. And then the blog is slash blog. Um, I am on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly K Wolf. That's Kelly with a Y and Wolf with an E. Um, I am, uh, so staying tuned for some more conversations soon from the um, Woman of Valor series on my blog. Up next, inspired by this conversation, we are doing um, Rahab, the prostitute, and then three yes. um, women surrounding, you know, sexual scenario or sex working that, inv- that uh, engage with Jesus. So looking forward to that conversation and recording it this weekend.
0: Very cool. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank for you being so here. much for having me. <laughs> um honestly I think this conversation is so important and I'm so glad to have you to come along and help me through it because I definitely this is not a conversation I would have had had I not connected with you no I'm so glad I'm so glad thank you for
1: for uh, being hospitable with your space and your platform and your voice and um that's a really generous way to serve the church so I'm really thankful for you to do that
0: so much for joining me today on this episode of the making room on the pew podcast as always you can find me on social media at Bailey Joe welch and online at my website baileyjoe welch Pomerance.com. and yes i will link that in the show notes because i know Pomerance can get a little tricky to spell if you enjoyed this episode don't forget to subscribe so you are notified every time a new episode comes out And if you wouldn't mind taking just a few seconds to rate and review on iTunes, it would really mean a lot to me. Doing those few easy things allows us to get the podcast in front of more people so we can all continue to make room on The Pew. Until next time, this has been Making Room on The Pew.